Good morning, Bitcoiners. That's right. You're here at the Ordinal Show. I'm Trevor.BTC, CEO of Ninja Alerts and managing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund. And I'm here with my co-host, the king of NFT, Sparta, Leonidas, our in-house NFT history expert and builder of Ord.io. And we are here to talk about Ordinals, BRZ20, Counterparty, Lightning, Bitcoin Hotels, and Sidechains. And all the things on the leading edge of Bitcoin with some of the smartest people in the space. We host the shows Monday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern and Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern to hit all the time zones and spread the good word about this new movement of art, culture, media, trading tools, and new kinds of digital assets being built on Bitcoin L1. Ordinals, what? For those of you just tuning in for the first time, ordinals and inscriptions are a new kind of on-chain non-fungible token first created on Bitcoin. An ordinal is just a piece of Bitcoin, a Satoshi that's had data inscribed to it, Literally, media, JSON, and other arbitrary data is uploaded and stored on the Bitcoin blockchain. Developers are finding ways to turn this data into innovative applications of all kinds using, quote, smart contracts implemented as node software as opposed to on-chain logic. But more important, this technology is the cultural change that we're seeing on Bitcoin. Users and developers are pouring in and innovation is accelerating. And that's what we're here to talk about. With that, let's introduce today's guests. Of course, we have Good Things and Danny from OnChain Monkey. We have Bob from Bionic. We have NB, an amazing artist and Twitter Spaces guest. We have Alpha Andy from OnChain Monkey as well, and many amazing people coming up to the show throughout the day. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited that you're all here with me. And don't forget to follow the Bitcoin Ordinal Show on Twitter at The Ordinal Show. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter link in bio. We post weekly recaps of the newsletter and RSVP links for future shows. So you never miss what's happening on the leading edge of Bitcoin. With that, I'm going to turn over to Leonidas to introduce today's show. All right. Good morning, everybody. We're joined by some on-chain monkeys up here today. So I think we'll get to be diving into a little recursion in a moment here. I'm sure there's people who are interested in hearing a bit about that. But yeah, guys, without further ado, Danny, good things. Welcome to The Ordinal Show. You guys are very active participants of this show, and we're super happy I think, I want to say, Danny, has it been like four months of being excited for Recursion that we finally have this? It's a really cool moment. And that you guys have been really, I would say, probably the loudest advocate for the idea of Recursion. So super, super happy for you guys. Super happy for what this is going to unlock. You guys have been thinking about this a lot. But before we get into exactly like what you guys did and how we can use this technology, could you just break down for people like, what exactly are incursive inscriptions and like why should people care about this? It's a very technical, we always pick these technical terms. <laughs> I, most people here probably aren't familiar with what I guess recursion even is, right, as well. So maybe Danny, try to give us the high level here of what we're talking about. Sure. It is a technical term. And actually, Casey Freight coined it recursive inscription, I believe. Yeah. Actually, many months ago, I think back in December last year, it's, it's something that, so what is recursion? Recursion is the idea of calling back to yourself. But in computer programming, it's a way that, so it's like a self-referential call. But it's a way that can be very powerful when you've programmed this way in that it can actually simplify and make code actually yeah, very simple yet powerful. And that's one way you can think about recursion. It's a, another way to think about it is that it's you're using code that you've written before, so that means you don't have to rewrite it every time, and that reuse is very powerful. So 
that's the main idea for recursive inscriptions in that you can, if you've inscribed something once, then you don't have to inscribe it again and you can use that. And because Bitcoin, and also actually recursive inheritance is something also very unique to Bitcoin and Bitcoin ordinals. It is actually more than, or a different type of thing than just programming recursion. So we, we know that when we write something onto Bitcoin, it costs a lot of money, especially when fees are high, which they will be. And we keep saying that fees and Leonidas and Trevor will say the same thing. Fees are going to be high on Bitcoin a year from now, much higher than today. In fact, today's fees are super low. So it's actually a nice time to be doing Bitcoin or those inscriptions. So if fees are high in the future, as we know they will be, then you don't want to, even if you want to inscribe something like a collection, you don't want to keep inscribing the same thing over and over again. And that's often the case for the inscriptions we've seen. And especially inscriptions, because they can be any type of file, they don't even have to be images, right? They can actually be code and programs. And when you have that, it's, that makes recursive inscriptions even more powerful. So if you write some very useful code, then you don't have to write it again. You can use recursive inscriptions to point to that and to actually use that in your future code. So basically, you have building blocks of code on Bitcoin. And another thing that, I guess another term, another, I guess, maybe a technical term that many people would say is composability. When they talk about like blockchain and smart contracts, they talk about composability, how, like on Ethereum, people use that a lot. How powerful Ethereum smart contracting is because it's composable. You can basically use different smart contracts that are already on Ethereum and then build on top of that. So that's actually what we're talking about here with Bitcoin ordinals and recursive inscriptions in that you can actually write code and then write other code on new inscriptions that use previous code. So you're actually building on top of this. So people didn't think too much about this or that you could do this stuff on Bitcoin because they thought Bitcoin is based on a very simple scripting language that doesn't allow for complex stuff and that it's immutable so you can't record state state changes easily and things you build on top of it. That is still all true. However, you can still do some super powerful stuff when you do or no when you have inscriptions with uh, recursive recursive inscriptions here. And that's what people are starting to realize. One of the things that we did back in February was we inscribed some libraries that are generally very useful, and we used it ourselves. In fact, we put it into our art. So OCM Dimensions is an art collection, but we put these libraries into our art because we wanted the, part of the art to be, actually, we want this idea of recursive inscription to be part of this art that we put these very useful libraries in, people will use them in the future. It is all open, although and people they didn't notice it yet because it's actually hard to find. And also, we did it in a way that's very efficient. So there's a way to use it that's better than other ways. And we're going to share that later this week. Also, recursive inscription is a feature that's not live on Ornos yet. So pull request was merged three days ago. Ralph Jeff had a pull request to merge one of the ways to do recursive inscriptions in the ORD GitHub. And Casey merged it three days ago. Or actually, RafJap merged it three days ago. Casey had the pull request. Sorry, I got the, the two mixed up. But the thing is, it's merged in the code base. It's, one, it's still one part of recursive inscription. There's more to it. And it's not live yet. Casey says it's going to be live later this week. 
So we'll also share how to use our inscription for OCM Dimension. And I know in this case, it's actually, there's some larger broadly applicable for many creators and, and we'll make it pretty clear how to use it. And I think what's exciting is to see, yeah, the new things that people come up with on Bitcoin. It's going to be, as Leonidas has been saying, Trevor, too, it's going to be crazy in the next couple of weeks when people start using this stuff. And it actually goes with kind of the intro of the show, Leonidas and Trevor saying that folks are moving over to Bitcoin more and more, moving their Ethereum collections over. When you have recursive inscription, you can do a bunch more too that is related to this move from Ethereum to Bitcoin. Basically, it makes Bitcoin ordinals a really great canvas for NFTs, for on-chain NFTs or digital artifacts, as we like to say, for Bitcoin. And there's an appeal for doing the digital artifact way over the Ethereum way in that it is, yeah, all on-chain, it's long-lasting, it's immutable, you actually own it, and no one can change it once you have the ordinal inscribed in, in your possession, right? And it costs money to create that ordinal, that someone made the effort to create that ordinal because anything on Bitcoin is expensive. Right now, it just happens to be much cheaper. It's a much cheaper version of expensive because the fees are low, but give it a year and anything you want to put onto Bitcoin, it's going to be super expensive to do. Yeah, I love that. The this could not have come at a good enough. I'm I, you guys might hear me. I'm sli- I'm a slight advocate for digital artifacts and fully on chain. <laughs> and I think in the past week we've seen a lot of like IPFS inscription images popping up and people are like trading images that are now like not fully on chain and I think we discussed this on the last show and again, yeah, there's nothing wrong with experimentation stuff. I'm just personally I'm pumped for a recursion cuz I think this is like a slightly nice middle ground where the art is still fully on chain so you get what you want but it's like way cheaper and more efficient to store a generative collection specifically like a generative pfp collection for example which to me is this awesome happy medium so i'm super excited i will shout out we just pushed an update to order.io so recursive inscriptions are live and you can go see the fomojis uploaded an inscription that's a great kind of fun example to play around with so the explorers and marketplaces will be rolling out updates. And right now it's more just fun, fun little things people are putting out there I'm seeing. But I think this is the kind of thing where we'll look back in six months and it'll be like, wow, like we unlocked a lot of interesting use cases here that you just couldn't do. It's just not physically possible to do in four megabytes. And yeah, I'm very excited for like basically the ability to build like more powerful web pages and almost like this little internet within Bitcoin where it's like all this data stored on Bitcoin referencing one another. And it's this neat network of data. Danny, you have this great video of you bought a 4K TV at Costco and you put the on-chain monkey dimensions up there. And of course, this is using the recursive technology. And it's this amazing like 3D. It looks like something out of a video game or like basically shattering the narrative of hey we can only do pixel art here on bitcoin and ordinals because it's so expensive to inscribe things on chain that's not true anymore right that is what this recursion is enabling you're leveraging these npm packages i believe to basically programmatically call code in the individual inscriptions and then you're basically able to render really cool art and 
I believe the really exciting thing here is for artists listening is that anyone's going to be able to leverage these packages. And I think you're going to have this kind of explosion of art blocks like art on Bitcoin, which is just super exciting. But yeah, I'm curious, Danny, what is Dimensions? Can you just dive into that a little bit more? And then Trevor will get to you in one sec. Yeah, so on the server Dimensions is that 3D art that I showed off in on the, the monitor, which by itself is very cool. But I think the bigger art of it is basically that showing many of the things that are possible and enabling actually the, these things in the future. Basically, the libraries were inscribed and we'll share how to easily use these so people can build off of Dimensions. And that growing thing is part of the art of Dimensions too. Yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, Trevor, you got your hand up. Then good things. I'd love to get you in on this conversation as well. Yeah, so I want to ask the big question here. Danny and good things, are you going to create an alternative to art blocks? Is that kind of the future direction for OCM? Or how does this fit into the bigger plans? We did inscribe two libraries that are generally used heavily by creators in general, right? So those are 3.js and p5.js. So that we're going to share just how anyone can use those. And the beauty of Bitcoin and how things are mutable and also open and, and public, and that the art, when you use these libraries with, through recursive inscriptions, is all on-chain and renderable and viewable by everyone in the world. It's really, it makes Bitcoin a platform for, for all artists to create stuff. And there's no, and in a decentralized open way, there, there's no one controlling the floodgates or controlling who can make the art on Bitcoin, besides just the fees itself, right? The Bitcoin network fees, which every which is fair for everyone in the world. So I'd say it's bigger than creating an art plot. It's creating a better Bitcoin that everyone uses and can make creative stuff on. And not just creative stuff. Actually, it's also important things. I mean, like we mentioned, scientific papers can be published on it or culturally significant things or even things tied to maybe decentralized identities and other things could leverage recursive inscriptions and basically the code that other people put on later. But we put on some basic libraries that I think are generally will be used by many people for, yeah, for actually building cool stuff on Bitcoin. Love that, Danny. I've heard examples from people saying that potentially you can make just these like larger experiences. So again, maybe this isn't most efficient, but you could take like a bunch of smaller videos that are like four megabyte and stitch them together and then render that video in an inscription that's like recursive calling those of the data from the other inscriptions. And you could have a 10 minute 1080p video. It's I'm not saying it would be cheap, but these things are possible, right? And you could see somebody, you could create like a music playing, interactive music playing inscription that allows you to pull songs that have been pulled that have already been inscribed, like the MP3 files that have already been inscribed, you can just reference all that art that's already been created and pull that into your like viewer browser inscription. So lots of like fun experiments I think are going to happen here. And yeah, I agree. Like art blocks, generative art, this is probably going to be the primary use case that we see for the near future. I think it's just such an obvious, like, what are we all doing? A lot of us are collecting like generative style PFPs. A lot of people want to release generative style PFPs. Like one of the top questions we get asked on the show is how do I release my collection more efficiently? Like ideally 50% less fees. We're giving people like hints how to compress files and this sort of thing. 
this is this is like a hundred x improvement. If you were thinking, oh, it's going to cost me hundred thousand dollars to do my ten k PFP collection, which I mean, that is literally for people who don't know, that is literally what it would cost you for a lot of these collections. That's getting brought down to a thousand, two thousand dollars. Very reasonable for more people, in my opinion. So it's very cool what's happening here for today's market, though. For today's fee market, I think a year from now. Even a small JSON inscription Agreed. might be $500. I have to run in a minute, but I want to leave with one last point with Nia and I talking about music. I think music is the big unexplored frontier on Oranos too. And also, in terms of music, like a digital music, or for example, like a piano, an electronic piano, when th- th- those are all, you could say, generative in that, right? The notes are, even the really nice digital pianos, the notes are pre recorded so each basically you have a program which the program just returns and plays a certain music or like a file right for each note that you hit so this is the type of thing that you could do on bitcoin with recursion you can record all the notes on a key on a piano right and what they do is they do a few different versions of that note based on like how hard you hit it and then you can start programming music on so someone has to inscribe all the notes but once the notes are inscribed, then people can build music, right, from the notes. And that would be one way you can actually do music on Bitcoin in a very efficient, generative way and using recursive inscriptions. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Yes, Trevor. Yeah, I was wondering, are you able to actually break down like the specific features of what was integrated for uh, in the poll request? Or is there, yeah, that's what I'm interested in, is what is the, the poll request that was merged actually outlined on a specific level? Zach, did you want to try to answer Trevor's question there? Or yeah, yeah, so essentially, like the main part of the pull request is really just setting this standard for how to recognize what is like a, so what's trying to reference an inscription within like another inscription. So the thing that was decided on is this like slash and then the word content and then another slash. And then followed by that is the inscription ID. So the thought is here that each of the ordinal explorers will take it on their own to recognize that piece of text and then replace that initial part with which whatever maps to their site's URL to get that inscription data. And then this could later be expanded on by some of the discussions in the pull request or if you wanted to pull the block height of a certain inscription or something like that, then the kind of key for that could be like slash block slash and then whatever the inscription ID is. Yeah, so this update is basically an update to the ordinals.com like explorer, right? The explorer for the official org client. Is, is that correct, Zach? The actual pull request to go? Yeah, so the, the actual ordinals.com client isn't yet like working with recursive inscriptions. Like it'll just, for the Fomojis one, it'll just show like an image error. But yeah, like the actual code that's changed, it's just two files and it looks like it has something to do with like privacy, like allowing a header, like the headers to reference it, itself because previously they had constraints so you couldn't pull in data that was coming from external sites and stuff. So I think that's all it really is doing. But yeah, I, I would imagine they'll have the ordinals.com stuff working pretty soon. Oh uh, yeah, Trevor. So this just basically allows you to essentially reference another inscription like it's like a library or a file and it has a syntax for that, but it doesn't handle like the collection standard yet. Is that correct? So it doesn't handle saying, hey, if you have the first input and output being like the parent inscription, it doesn't this like is cover not that parent child inscription. This is one of the pieces. So this was the piece where when we're talking about inscriptions, referencing other inscriptions, that's what this piece is. This is not parent child, Trevor. 
Although I am I'm hoping that's the next contender for Emerge pretty soon here. Yeah, and another big thing is that all of this could have been done like a week ago or three weeks ago or really from whenever. All this is really doing is saying, okay, this is the kind of going to be the universal standard that we all recognize. So then all of the explorers could build to recognize the same thing. And it's not just, oh, I know on Magic Eden, I need a format, a recursive inscription like this, but on ordinals.com, it needs to be something else. This just sets it for everyone. And so how will this work in terms of mixing different file types or content types? If you want to reference like the Doom game inscription and then you want to put a JSON after that, like if you want to mix and match some like incompatible or just random file types together, like how would that end up being displayed? Yeah, so it's going to be depending on the context where you're pulling it in. So say you have an HTML inscription and then you have an image tag in there and then for description and it'll display like a normal image. But you could also have like in that HTML file, you could have a script tag and then there you're pulling from a JavaScript inscription that has been previously pulled. So it'll just pull whatever the raw data is for whatever inscription you're referencing. And then it's on the, like this new inscription to make sure it's pulling in the right kinds of data for the right places. So Trevor, the way to think about it is there's already a bunch of inscriptions that will their HTML inscriptions or like an SVG, you can make a call to some sort of external file. So all of the, for most of the explorers and marketplaces are blocking that. And basically everything, for example, on our explorer, everything is sourced from on-chain data, right? So when people are making HTML files to say, hey, go get this file from Google images and display that file here, we could just change one line of code and say that's allowed, but we intentionally don't allow that because we don't want off-chain data because it's confusing to collectors and people exploring. So what this does is you just basically, that same spot in the SVG or the HTML file where you'd be asking, say, hey, like here's a link, I want you to pull this data in. You literally just change that to say the inscription ID and you slash content slash format that Casey created, that's the standard. And then the explorers know, hey, okay, this is a special type. We are going to allow this through, and it's just going to go to our data that we have stored on our server. So it's like this internal internet that you can reference. You can't, you still can't reference inscription, or you sorry, you still can't reference data outside of the quote unquote like Bitcoin network. But if something's on Bitcoin, those links will now work, which is from a dev perspective, this is really cool. I really do think we're going to see some cool shit get built over the next week or so. Yes, patches. Also, the thing that's most exciting for me is like the ability for a computing engine to be on top of Bitcoin and what that means for T's in the longer haul. Like owning a piece of software is strange, especially in a decentralized manner, but it seems like it's inevitable at this point as well. With recursion and without parent-child, I guess, do you see those as very silical where they're going to help each other enable the same new cases and just power up each other because then you have more verbose ability for both recursion and data sensing on the network for building applications or anything? You basically nailed it. It's like, this is one level up power up for ordinals and it's one more tool in the toolkit that developers can use. And then parent child is a different thing, but it'll work really nicely together because you can imagine like the future 10K PFP collection on ordinals is going to be leveraging both these things. So it's going to have provenance and metadata on chain, right? And it's going to reference these traits and just build it programmatically. So yeah, in my opinion, like these are the two things that really 
just basically make it a much more complete, efficient protocol. I do think this is probably the future for a lot of what gets created. It just makes so much more sense. It's just, unless you have money growing on trees in your backyard, this is probably going to be how you're going to create inscriptions for the most part, at least. Big King. Hi, good day, everybody. So basically, I have a question concerning uh, the re- recursive inscription. First of all, I want to come behind this. It's actually a great development concerning inscription and all that. My question is, first of all, when you want to cut into this, all you have to do is inscribe traits, right? And it's going to automatically put this JPEGs to the traits. Would it really, once you like inscribe the traits, would it really automatically inscribe the rest of the JPEG? Let's say you... You have 300 traits with a 10K collection. When you inscribe these 300 traits, is it going to really place the trait for the rest of the 10K collection? That's like my first question. Sorry, so I'm going to be honest. I didn't fully understand there. It's like you're asking how the traits get referenced or can you just explain a little bit more? Okay, so here's what I meant. Like this inscription or this new development is going to make, if you have a 300 traits, for your collection, is it going to automatically place this traits for the rest of the 10K collection, like the 10K JPEGs you're going to be uploading? Is it going to like no, automatically place No, it? so basically you still are creating the art and you're customizing everything. So you would inscribe the 300 traits as files, right? As images or SVGs or however you want to do those traits. And then you would add, you'd basically write an inscription that is code, and then there'd be 10,000 inscriptions, each with a little bit of code saying, hey, here is how I want you to render. I want you to pull in these images, and then if you know how to use like CSS for HTML, or you could use an SVG, and you could basically place those traits within the image, sorry, within the frame of what's going to be rendered, if that makes sense. I don't know, Far, you're an artist in this space. Have you been following this? What do you think this means for artists? Uh, hi, how's it going? Yeah, I have been following this. I have been talking this month to Danny, Cypher. We have been talking about all of this. So basically, you explain it very well. And this is the, the ultimate composability, right? So you can be, you have a piece of software that you create and then you are fetching files from other places, right? And from other inscriptions. They could be anything, basically. And so you build that software and then you have the child inscriptions that they are outputs, basically, of that. I think the way we know generative art, for instance, in art blocks, is pretty much the case. It's pretty similar. And you create this uh, the program that generates the outputs, and the outputs are basically attached to the coins, to the individual tokens that they give the information to generate the specific output, right? So I think the difference here is like we are, the difference with Ethereum is here we have much storage capacity, right? So I think it's pretty exciting because you can get images, you can get 3D models, et cetera, et cetera. So I think uh, essentially, I think we will see like many experiments. I'm doing some stuff, experimenting always, mixing things with different files and code with art. But I think we will see, as you mentioned before, I think we will see like experiences and, and, and very compelling things. This is from the art perspective. I think, yeah, I've been really looking for something like that in the past. Ethereum, you, you couldn't do it because you cannot, ins- let's say, put on chain images if you work like that, right? And Ethereum is pretty good for code alone. But here you have more, way more possibilities. So I guess for art, this is uh, fantastic. For PFP, it's basically what you say before. There's a 
there's an option that you can do. This is very technical. Probably someone else uh, have a, a, another option, but basically you could construct everything in parts, right? With all the traits, and then you basically put it together a JSON or a script that arrange all of them. And then every new token can have yeah, their own PFP. So basically here, like a, I think what is happening is when we had ordinals at the beginning, someone tweeted yesterday this, that this is uh, Inscriptions 2.0. And I thought it was very funny, but I think maybe this is the case because when we did, for instance, the wizards, we were blown away that we spent $60,000 in inscribing 2,000 wizards. Now it will be like a 600000 or more. And so it's pretty, pretty hard to do something that is not like a, either like a pixelated or really tiny files, right? But now with this, you can. So I think we're going to have a, it's definitely an inflection point in inscription. So I think it's pretty exciting to be honest. Yeah, I love that perspective. You're somebody in this every single day, like creating and following everything. And I'm glad to hear it got your seal of approval. Like, I am just excited for, I don't know, like, all of these artists who just felt a little maybe disappointed when they came to the space and realized they weren't going to be able to do a collection because it's so expensive. I think they should definitely revisit. And if you want to do a thousand piece generative art collection now, I don't really see any reason not to come experiment with this stuff. It's just it's just getting way more accessible, which I think is a huge win. Go ahead, Far. Yeah, I was going to say that it's going to... You mentioned something before about migra- migration, migrating collections from Ethereum to Bitcoin. Uh, I don't think uh, it's the case for all of them, obviously, but some collections, they might... This could be like a good opportunity if they want to basically just the provenance, put everything on chain. And when you do things on Ethereum, you are really, it's so costly to put things on chain. So you have that in mind already. But when if you want to migrate to Ethereum right now, like Danny say, like he already, they put the libraries in and more people will put more libraries. So the composability, right, this is a permissionless, so you can access to all of this stuff. So I think there's a good opportunity for that. I don't know who is going to do it or not. I'm personally... I have been chasing to put many things that I have fully on chain. So I'm considering going and going through all my projects to see what I can do. But I think, yeah, we'll see this type of thought process. I think we'll see it across the board. Love that. I'll just throw out a cool example for somebody here really quick. So if you wanted to do like something, if you wanted to try to replicate something like Artbox, because we now have recursive inscriptions, you have the essentially like JavaScript libraries to work with. Danny, I'm sure, will share those inscriptions soon with us here, and there will be lots more documentation and tooling for how you could build this. But you could basically write some code the same way you would on Artbox that would pull in these packages, except you'd be pulling them off of Bitcoin. And then you'd write your inscription. And the final piece that Artbox does that's pretty magical is there's this provably randomness of something being on-chain that will generate this, like, basically number that then you essentially get uh, this cool reveal process where, like, when you mint an art box piece, nobody knows what it is. To me, that's a huge part of the magic. It's like it gets put into the chain. The chain decides what the art looks like. You could see something similar here. So if I was creating, like, a 1,000-piece collection, I might try something fun where it's, like, I'd give every piece a different block number and their future block numbers. And when that block number gets hit, it, you take the hash of whatever that block number is and feed it into the rendering, and you could end up with a pretty dope like reveal over time of your collection that I think would be pretty cool. And 
because that data is all on chain, it would be random, I believe. So unless miners could somehow manipulate something that I'm not aware of, there would be a way to do this randomly. So in that way, you'd basically end up with what is, in my opinion, kind of a feature complete art block style generative art tooling here, which is really exciting. Yeah, and to put it in perspective, also, I think about the art blocks, usually they range in between 14, every art block is different, but you can see art blocks from 14 kilobytes to 60, around 60, maybe some art blocks are higher, right? So just think about it, right? Because now we have 400 kilobytes. So this is the possibilities are you have the ability to put more code if any creators, they need more. And yeah, you're right. Like it could be a block. You could use even the inscription number as a hash even, right? So there's going to be like a many different possibilities. I think on Chain Monkeys, this is what they did, but they probably explain it better. All right. Very cool. I actually haven't talked to Danny about that, but to me, it just seems like a good enough idea that I figured I'd say it. I figured people would figure out that was a cool way to do this. So if that is what Onchain Monkey did, that's pretty darn, pretty darn cool. Yes, Inby, thank you for waiting patiently. Of course. Yeah, I got a question. As a creative, just I want to understand the recursive concept a little better. Is it correct to assume that it's essentially like compiling layers? You can inscribe various layers and then compile them into a final composition? Or is that off base? I think that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, that's a good explanation. That's really cool. Awesome. Charlie, how's it going? What are your thoughts on this upgrade? What's up, y'all? Really cool. It's funny because you know how you you learn about Bitcoin today and you realize people were talking about it on Bitcoin Talk like 13 years ago, even if it seems like it's a new kind of esoteric subject. This is how it feels like going back and thinking about the first few weeks on the order cord in the voice chat because there were so many interesting topics that were discussed there at the time, recursion being one. And a lot of the things which I see people talking about, I'm like, oh, yeah, Post was like, he was talking about that back in February, Post inside. But my only comment, I got to run to a meeting here. My only comment is, uh, so Sinai will be talking about, we'll be explaining recursion a lot on our channels. But my general comment is that my view on this kind of renaissance in NFT culture on Bitcoin is really cool, but a lot of people have been, I think a lot of the newcomers say, oh, we're just, well, we're going to put the same kind of JPEGs on Bitcoin, which is cool. And that's fun. That's beautiful. That's art. But I think, and I keep saying this each cycle, if you've been around these various crypto cycles, each cycle rhymes, but does not mirror. And I've said for a long time, I think that whatever kind of meta emerges, how does the inscription market develop? I think this is the, it's going to look very different than the JPEG mode of the last cycle. And this is one of those early kind of harbingers of that, where I like, this is one of the things that feels new. This is going to be, it feels to me that this is going to be a core mechanic of what the second wave of NFT or inscription culture looks like. So I'm my eyes on this kind of stuff. My view is in recursion is just the is again still just the beginning. There's a lot of other new interesting techniques and unlocks. And if I were a person trying to figure out how to build on next cycles and next narratives, I would say, what's a new technology or new kind of mechanic that Casey or anybody in the space has been talking about that hasn't really been adopted or implemented yet? And I would be looking at that. Shout out the people who have been talking about this. Danny from OCM, Cypherpunk Ghost, Post, Cy, everybody. So yeah, this is really cool. I love y'all. Bye. (laughs) 
Have a great day, Charlie. Appreciate you stopping by. Yes, Trevor. Yeah, I hope that this puts to rest or puts to bed some of the concerns about like file size and like that, oh, you can't like there's limited block space. You can't do high res stuff on Bitcoin. I hope that puts us to bed. And then what I'm interested to see is also being able to access certain variables related to the Bitcoin network. So it'd be cool if you could reference what the current block height is in your inscriptions or you could reference what the current difficulty level is or other the current hash rate, like other variables that could allow some of these inscriptions to be like more dynamic, but still immutable in the sense that they refer to specific like variables in the chain state would be really cool. And then as I'm thinking about this, like it's very clear how to do this for JavaScript. Like you just have an HTML document, you import like a JavaScript library and then you display some cool art. I'm curious like how this works for, for example, like SVGs, because if you're creating a child inscription that's referencing the parent, which could be like the library, you need to be able to not just import it, but also like maybe import certain data into a specific place. Well, let's say you have the, the SVG and it's all written out and then you want to change like the hex code of the color. You would have to like put that in the parent, would you not? You'd have to embed, It doesn't need to be parent um, child. I don't yes, it could be parent child, but I wouldn't like think of this as necessarily parent child. I could I'll share some code with you after Trevor. It, it's honestly in the SVG you're basically just adding a like little tag that's gonna pull data from another inscription and you can, it can definitely be done with SVG. So I can share that with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I'm saying is I want I want to put the, the imported content like around a variable as opposed to on a specific line. So like instead of with SVG, can you just define, can you just define variables and then you could have the whole SVG above and then import that. And then below it, you can define like what to change and put those variables in there. Does that, is that how SVG works? SVG allows you, it's vector graphics, right? So you're just drawing dots and connecting those dots. You could literally, I've created a bunch of stuff in my past (laughs) dev career with SVG. You can pretty much move anything around however you want and do SVG is like a really cool canvas to work with. Probably more exciting than like the HTML5 canvas and some of these other things. There's D3JS is a really dope library. There's some cool stuff that you can do. And I, yeah, I can definitely show you. And I want to see, I definitely want to see artists leverage SVGs like much more heavily now because they're going to work really nicely with this recursive, this recursive inscription upgrade. Got it. Because I'm imagining like if you want to reference something, like maybe you want that thing you're referencing to wrap around the content that you have there rather than just be before the content or after the content. Do you know, do you understand what I'm saying? So I actually don't fully mean what you mean. I'm thinking from a visual perspective, right? Like you want it to be, I'm basically hundred percent sure what you want to do is possible, but are you referring to something being visually wrapping around or you're talking about the code wrapping around? Let's say I'm inscribing the, like a number like one, two, three, four, five, six, but I want to input that number into a function with JavaScript, you can just call the function like below it, right? But if, let's say you have a another type of scripting language where you need to actually like have the function name. Like the first the first part would be like the open bracket, and the second part would be like the close bracket, for right. example. So, yeah. So I'm I don't want to say a hundred percent, but I'm almost a hundred percent sure. Like you could just pull in a package and start using it, and you could pull in code from another inscription and use that code in your inscription so yes my understanding is that yes you could good things did you want to maybe jump in there if you wanted to or do you have something else 
when we described our Genesis collection, it was all code. So the code generates the images. When we did Dimensions in the same month back in February, we inscribed, so we're basically announcing it now, but we inscribed a couple JavaScript libraries. We inscribed an algorithm for compression and decompression. And so this is powerful code that is out there that anybody can use now. We haven't released the inscription number. I think only one or two people have found it, but we're going to do that this week and we're going to publish some information on how people can use this. But basically, it's the first step in creating like composability on Bitcoin. What Dimensions does is a lot of things, but one of the things it does is put to bed like the idea that on Bitcoin, things have to be a certain way. We were able to achieve this incredible high-resolution, high-end 3D animated interactive art, right? And we're working with Ashby Bugatti. They're going to be putting out a collection that's going to be using some of our code from Dimensions. And so it just shows like you can do a lot more than what has already been done. And this is just the beginning of it. Dimensions is not meant to be the end all. It's the beginning of kind of a new wave of ordinals. I'll give a little just like idea I just had here. Trevor, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. So you've released an ERC-1155 on Ethereum through Manifold called Bitcoin Summer. It's your collection. You've been creating some like really cool art, I think, with Midjourney. And the way that works is you have, I think, right now four images that you created, but there can be hundreds of owners of each image. Right now, there's no great way to migrate that to ordinals. We just don't have a primitive for semi-fungibility, similar to Ethereum's ERC-1155. But with this, you could imagine how, let's say you take, you know, that image, right? You inscribe it fully on chain. And then you say, hey, here's the, there's 553 holders. I'm going to make 553 inscriptions that are just a little bit of code, a little bit of text. They're very small files. And you can manually create those and say, hey, I want you to go pull this one inscription, which is where I paid a bunch of money to inscribe this high resolution image and pull it into the 553 inscriptions. And then you could distribute those 553 inscriptions. And then in that way, you end up with kind of a semi-fungible standard where you're still using SATs as ownership and an inscription the way all the explorers would work and people could trade those images and know they're the official ones. But they would be just like way more efficient than inscribing 553 images. So that's a way to do this without having to create extra kind of meta protocols. You could just do this. You could do this today, which is exciting. Yeah, this is exactly what we're thinking for this is to inscribe the first image that's burned. And maybe that's the deploy or the essentially the the owner of the contract. And then everyone that burns from the next ones, we could reference that one and also reference the burn transaction on Ethereum as a for the indexers to verify that it is a true one instead of a duplicate, whereas there's anyone has inscribed a one of them. And then also on Ethereum, we have the like the record of which wallets minted that first one, or you could do something with the ins- the inscription ID, like on Casey's original Teleburn, where Casey's original Teleburn was that there was a when you inscribe it, the inscription ID will actually determine what the burn address is for the the bridge that Ordinals Market and Kiwi and Robert are doing up here. They're just inscribed like on the. On, in the burn transaction on Ethereum, they're just including the wallet address that's going to in, inscribe it directly, which is another uh, great way to do it. Both of these different ways still require you to index Ethereum and they have the dependency. And so a model that we came up with over the weekend 
was this idea of essentially having the um, the initial deploy transaction from the creator and then having like everyone referencing that original is essentially electing or voting, hey, this is going to be, this is the authentic leader or person behind this collection. And that's also backed up, of course, by the Ethereum and records. But then the that person who was elected or voted can actually inscribe another transaction of the official Ethereum state to say, hey, here are the official holders and here are the official correct inscription IDs, which were actually moved over. And then you have removed the dependency on Ethereum in the long term. In the short term, you're still gonna you're still gonna need it because it could be contested. Let's say some like someone could just right after you or maybe even before you front run you and try to do this. But as long as the indexers are referencing Ethereum, then they won't be tradable. So they can try to front run you, but then they'll just be losing their money. And so you have not a perfect solution, but you have an incentive aligned, elegant solution here for not only you have the artwork on Bitcoin, but you can also reduce the dependency on Ethereum as a external dependency in terms of identifying which ones are legit inscriptions and ordinals as part of this bridge that moved everybody over. Love that. 